Special thanks to our friends over at True Car for sponsoring this episode of Post Show Recaps. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up your first date, that luxury package you got after that big promotion, or the mileage you save by riding your bike all summer long. Now, while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell it or trade it in. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Then just answer a few questions like navigation and moonroof. They will bump up your car's value high mileage you already knew it was going to cost you but now you can find out how much it's going to ding your wallet so you can plan ahead and once you're finished you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes which you could take to a local certified dealer so you could cash out or trade in so when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car check out true car today true cash offer not available in all areas Winter was here, but we are just getting started on our recap of the season six finale of Game of Thrones, the winds of a winter. And now here are the guys who are about to dive into everything that was going on here. Just like King Tommen. I am Rob Sister here with Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Uh, I'm doing better than too soon. Doing better than the Tyrells. Yeah, no, it's been a solid like a minute. Two years or so at this point, right? Something June 26, like 2016, uh, the night that post show recaps was decorated with a podcast award for best TV and film podcast. Oh, my goodness. Wow. Uh, I had I had no idea that this was the the same night. Uh, my my memories have all blurred together. That's fantastic. That's amazing. And we got such a great episode of Game of Thrones that night as well, because Stella I'll tell you all these years later, Rob. The Winds of Winter. This is a fabulous episode of Game of Thrones. Definitely top five. Yeah, it really holds up. It's a long episode, but there's almost no filler, no dead weight here. Lots of dead weight. I mean, literally, like, just, like, dead body weight by the end of this. I mean, there's almost, you know, not a scene here that you say, eh, I would cut that one. Uh, that one didn't land. Uh, almost a perfect episode. And it starts so well. The the opening sequence, the whole light of the seven sequence really does play as well as you as you hope it does in in your memory of the episode. If you haven't watched it in a while, everything that's building up to Cersei's plan going into action and a lot of just like the little things, just little looks like the way that, uh, you know, King Tom and looks at himself in the mirror at one point. And he just looks so scared and you know where he's about to go uh, or the, the little arc, I think, for for Marjorie, you know, her her final arc of the of the of the series in this episode of her not winning against Cersei, but at least the show, um, you know, allowing her the dignity of being right in her final moments. There's just so much here that's that's so rich and so good. And that's just the first sequence. Once we get past that, there's still so much great material, uh, not the least of which is the fact that Daenerys Targaryen finally set sail for Westeros. Uh, so, yeah, this is a stellar episode of the show for sure. Okay. All right. So let's go through all of it. The final Game of Thrones episode of season six before we head towards uh, season seven. And it's Cersei's day in court. I I love how we open with the bell tolling. uh, And then we see that bell later on in the explosion, just, you know, bouncing down the street. 
Well, it's appropriate, too, considering the Bell's association with Cersei these days. You know, the shame, shame, shame of it all. And here she is about to commit her greatest sin yet. Uh, so to have the Bell in such prominent fashion uh, as, a, as an audio and visual cue uh, of, her, of her madness that's about to rain down upon, upon all of her enemies is uh, a really spectacular writing choice. Yeah, really fantastic. We are bouncing around uh, seeing uh, Cersei, Tommen, the High Sparrow, uh, Marjorie. Everybody's getting ready for the big day. Yeah, and we're hearing piano for the first time in Game of Thrones history in Ramin Jawadi's score. Uh, this is a it's a new layer of the score that is making its way in here. This this piece of music that he wrote for this episode, I think uh, it's pretty clearly his favorite um, his favorite piece that he's written for Game of Thrones. I think outside of the main theme of Game of Thrones and potentially the reigns of Castamere, I think that this is probably the most iconic piece of music to come out of the drama. Uh, and it's really just it's it's making everything so haunting and it's so chilling. And certainly on retrospect, you know what's coming. But I think that even in the in the moment of watching the episode play out, I think that it, it really helps build that feeling of just a, a, a real chilling atmosphere, this haunting aura that, you know, something awful is about to happen. You just don't quite know exactly what it's going to be yet. Anything in particular about why piano now? I think it really just helps to underscore the severity of the moment uh, that that things are about to radically shift. You know, this is such a power shift. What happens here? What Cersei does? Cersei wipes out, you know, all of the enemies that she has had from the past several seasons in one fell swoop. I mean, Daenerys is still out there. She hasn't met her yet. Sansa's in the north. She's really far out of reach. Tyrion is who knows where as far as Cersei is concerned. But the most pressing foes of the day, uh, you know, since the beginning of season five through this point, and with Marjorie certainly going back a little bit earlier, here they are all just roasted alive for Cersei to enjoy as she is going to be able to clear the decks to seize the thing that she has wanted for so long, which is absolute power. Uh, and I think that it the, the, the piano really helps to differentiate this as uh, an incredibly monumental decision distinct moment in the history of not just Westeros, but but Game of Thrones as a as a franchise. I think that this is a massive turning point for where we are barreling towards in the in the final stretch of the show. Obviously, all eyes are on the White Walkers of it all uh, and wondering how that's going to resolve as all of the, the human forces on the board are mostly rallying together. But it's easy to forget that like Cersei didn't say yes to that pact by the end of season seven. She still has an eye on betraying Jon Snow and Daenerys. Targaryen and I think she's going to be a major spoiler in the final season of the show so I think having something that is just so distinctive here something that's going to be so memorable uh, with uh, with, the, with the tickling of the keys of the piano I think is really uh, tickling out our interest for where this show is going to be moving forward okay how do you want to go through this montage uh, I mean, it really begins with, you know, Cersei is getting ready. She's getting dressed in the moment you think that she's getting ready for her day in court because you see so many other people are getting ready as well. Tommen is getting dressed. Marjorie is getting dressed. The High Sparrow is getting dressed. People are going to start showing up to the Sept of Baelor. Uh, and Cersei's not going to show up 
Cersei's not going to go. So why is she no show. getting why is she getting dressed? No show recaps. Why is <laughs> she why is she getting all, all all dressed up in like her fanciest gear? And it's because she's about to get day drunk and have the best view in town of the most atrocious act of war that we have seen in quite a long time on this show, potentially ever. You know, certainly since the Red Wedding, I think. Uh, so it's it's just great as we are uh, we are really surveying everybody uh, and the, the the montage really kind of takes a, a turn once we are finally in the Sept of Baylor. The music chills out a little bit. Uh, they start getting into the trial of uh, of Loris and everything. And Loris is going to be the guy who's really pretty quickly like there doesn't need to be a trial. I'm I'm done. You've had me rotting away for so long that I'm really ready to just sign on for anything that you need me to sign on for. You know, the Loris thing is interesting. So what was the plan here? Was I mean, was Loris being genuine that, hey, I really am going to turn over a new leaf? Was he just telling them whatever they wanted to hear so that he could just get out and then still potentially live his life how he wanted to, you know, uh, you know, beyond the, the what the High Sparrow was knowing what he was doing? I think at the very least, Marjorie didn't expect that he was going to have a big cross carved into his forehead. That seems to really that be... That seemed like a surprise to her. <laughs> seems like a shock for everybody. But I mean, he says it to Marjorie earlier in the season. I believe it was earlier in the season where he's like, I will say anything, please. Can we just be done with this? I can't be in here anymore. I'm ready to to move on. Uh, and I think that Marjorie's plan here at the very least is to, is to get Loris clear, get Loris out of there. Um, maybe him being in charge of, of High Garden is something that she can work towards if she's able to continue fostering her relationship with the High Sparrow. But for like the immediate moment, I think it's like clearing her family from any like true danger with the Faith Militant and the High Sparrow um, and, you know, re-seizing her claim over the Iron Throne alongside Tommen, dealing with the Cersei problem. I think she's very confident going into this day thinking that Cersei's days are numbered. Um, and once Cersei is off the board, things will move a lot easier for Marjorie. And whatever she's not able to solve for her brother this day, she may be able to solve in a future date. We also see Maester Pycelle in the mix here. Maester Pycelle with a uh, woman of the night uh, here in his quarters. Uh, he gets intercepted by some of the uh, little birds. Yeah, the little birds are uh, are the little birds are up to no good. Looming all episode large. long, really, <laughs> they, they absolutely are. Uh, and I I think that that's uh, I, we talked about this at the time. I'm sure, but the the little birds are uh, a, a big part of Pycelle's demise in um, in the books as well. Done a little bit differently than than we get here, uh, but uh, a cool throwback to that nonetheless. Okay. And so uh, we see Tommen. He is also ready to go, uh, but he is stopped here by the star of the Super Bowl's hottest commercial, <laughs> The Mountain. I can't believe that Bud Light signed on to allow The Mountain to give the Red Viper treatment to the Blue Knight. Like, mm -hmm. can the Blue Knight return for a future commercial or is the Blue Knight toast now? Gilly Gilly. <laughs> I mean, that's Gilly Gilly. <laughs> 
Uh, no, nothing further, Your the Honor. The Bud no Light tri- of the Seven. No, no, no trial necessary. <laughs> that's amazing uh yeah that that was a good uh fake out on the super bowl commercial absolutely very very good yeah so yeah uh the mountain not letting tommen out of his sight won't let him go i mean you would think that tommen would have gotten there a little earlier it seems like that that tommen is arriving very late to the proceedings yeah, uh, but he's the king. Unless right? we're not like, seeing things in like the like simultaneously happening, or he's waiting for mother, and mother's going slow. So uh, you know, it's not necessarily his fault. Maybe he is. He not was going keep- with her to the proceeding. That he's seems not odd. keeping track of time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. Was Marjorie still uh, in the custody of the High Sparrow? No, you'd maybe think that Marjorie would have gotten uh, Tom into to show up on time. Uh, but yeah, I think for the sake of our sanity, perhaps it's best to just think, think that about this, this isn't too in, much. this isn't in like a very strict chronological order. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, we see Marjorie starts to notice, Hey, uh, Cersei's not here. What's going on? Yeah. She's nervous. She's nervous about this. And, and rightly so. Uh, she, you know, she finds out from Lancel that Cersei's, uh, litter has never, has not left the, the red keep. Uh, and the high sparrow says, Oh, well, the queen mother doesn't want to attend her own trial. Uh, and at the, at the outset of this, um, like it se- it seems like the high sparrow is very confident that like oh well that was a stupid move on Cersei's part so she's just like going to get carried here against her will and that's just going to look very bad for her trial but this is why i'm ultimately satisfied with the way that marjorie's story ends i think that we have made breaking bad comparisons in the past i don't want to go too deep into spoilers on a different show but there's a very famous rivalry on breaking bad that i think that the cersei and marjorie uh rivalry kind Kind of draws some easy comparisons toward uh, where it's you know these two really smart, shrewd strategists in the in the Game of Thrones are competing against each other. They're competing at a level where only one of them will be able to walk away. Uh, and at the very least, in the case of the Cersei and Marjorie battle, Marjorie is able to deduce before anybody else. Okay, something really awful is happening here, and we're falling into a trap. And it's not her fault that the trap can't be unsprung she just could not anticipate the level of cruelty to cersei here and beyond that she has no physical power over the faith militant and the stubbornness of the high sparrow um but she's at least given the opportunity on the show to express that like she has figured out that there is a reason cersei is not here she has the great line where she talks about cersei understands the consequences of her not being here but she's not here anyway, which means Cersei does not intend to suffer those consequences. Mm-hmm. And I think that they really honor Marjorie's Good deduction. Yeah, they honor her intelligence in in this final scene. She's really a, a great anchoring point in um in this really spectacular sequence. And I, I really like the way that they write her out here. Mm-hmm. Also, she is not happy. It seems like that the High Sparrow has uh, been a little extra in terms of what they talked about uh, for Loras in terms yeah, of uh, she feels like the, you mutilated him. <laughs> yeah, so, well, what do you mean? I just gave him like a cool new like tattoo. Mm-hmm. Well, you we got don't something like against our symbol. Like, what are you trying to tell me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we see Picel meet up with Kyburn. 
Yes, uh, he meets up with Kyber and like simultaneously to all of this, this is this is really where like the little birds are starting to come into focus where Pycelle is going to go and he's going to meet with Maester Kyburn and he's going to be destroyed by a flock of little birds uh, while Lancel Lannister simultaneously is chasing a little boy, uh, one of the spies down the tunnels underneath the Sept of Baelor. Uh, But to focus on the the final scene of Grand Maester Pycelle, uh, he's going to show up, he's going to be uh, confronted by Kyburn and Pycelle, who's always been um, very dismissive of Kyburn, has always you know really talked down to Kyburn or about Kyburn whenever he's not around. He really does not like this guy. Kyburn, in his own way, here is really trying to be like. I'm sorry about this. Like, this is not my preferred move, but we have to execute you. We have to usher in a new era. We need to take out the old. And I'm really sorry. You don't you don't deserve to die this way. And I guess you could you could read it as this is Kyburn, like torturing Pycelle one last time, like coming up with like a real great comeuppance against this guy who's been so rude to him. But I kind of read it as like in his own twisted imagination, like he does like genuinely feel bad about what he's about to do to Pycelle. And that just like speaks so poorly of Maester Kyburn, like that he is just like such a such a little psychopath, a twisted little individual that for him, like this expression of remorse is like enough to like kind of absolve him here. Either way, this is the last stand of uh, Grand Maester Pycelle. And the show does not allow us to, to hear one last fart. But you can imagine that it's there. Yeah, he did not have a great exit where uh, seems like that he was uh, not giving the woman in his quarters the money she had earned so <laughs> right. uh, hard to feel too bad for uh Picel. it's a it's really violent i'd forgotten just like how uh how absolutely vicious his death is where like he's just getting stabby 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 by so many knives and the camera really lingers on his face as he's just like gargling up the blood uh they really don't let him off easily on the show he doesn't get off easy. Uh, we never find out with Pycelle uh, what his deal was. Just like generally what his uh, when you know, he was all I always about. go back to that scene from the first season where he's able to leap out of bed and where it sort of implies that he is, you know, he has something to hide and he's not who he says he is. But we never get that. We never get that I answer. Yeah, I think it's just like he prefers to be underestimated. He probably has better access to information if everybody thinks he's just kind of a senile fool. Sure, but um, we never get the payoff to that, you know? No, not really. I, not not really. I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't know. In terms of all the mysteries that are on the board on Game of Thrones. It's almost like, it's like a, that one scene is like not canon where, you know. <laughs> yeah. Because every everything else really would, you know, he's all, like only presented as like this doddering fool the rest of the series, except for that one scene. Well, I think it kind of it plays into the characterization of Pycelle as very opportunistic and uh, uh, really all about self-preservation. And even though he seems like a really fierce Lannister loyalist for a while, and it seems like Cersei kind of pushes him away across the uh, the arc of seasons four and and uh, more more um, more so in five, I would say in six, uh, that Pycelle really stops his closeness to Cersei. I think that even then, like his closeness to Cersei was always about him just assuming that the Lannisters would always be 
be in power. And then he's able to kind of shift focus once it's clear that Cersei is not going to be the winning ticket, at least in his mind. So I think that the the like the flexibility, like the the virility of of Pycelle that he keeps hidden from everybody else, uh, I think that that sort of uh, helps to enforce that narrative of he's just he's just another one of these phonies in King's Landing, uh, just one of these one of these people who is not what he appears to be, is not who he says he is, is hiding secrets, uh, and not that there are any kind of like major secrets that are going to have impact on the grander scheme of Game of Thrones, but I think it, it helps um, reinforce the idea that the people that you're encountering at the at the capital of this kingdom uh, that they're all vipers in some way, shape, or form. They don't all have to be red. Okay, so peace out, Pycelle. And uh, we see uh, Lancel as he's uh, continuing to chase uh, one of these birds. And uh, he, he's going to also get uh, an injury. He gets shanked as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, his, is, his is more of just like a, a done in one, enough to drop him uh, and to, to get him into a really weakened state, uh, but not enough to kill him outright. The wildfire is going to have to do the rest of the job. Mm-hmm. Now, this, this is a dangerous game that they play here with uh, w- with Lancel, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because yes. Lancel gets within what, maybe, you know, five seconds away from being able to, you know, thwart this whole thing. This kid really almost bungles the job. Uh, you know, I, I really hope that he's demerited at least one suite for uh, the way that this goes. <laughs> right. I mean, if Lancel is able to get over there and I don't know how you necessarily disarm this bomb or if there were other things like it's like, OK, this was just to mess with Lancel and there's really another candle that's, you know, uh, a minute later is going to go off. They have other ways of detonating all this. But I mean that they leave him in this uh, tunnel and uh, like, how do they know how, like how fast he can crawl? They don't. They don't. But uh, man, it gives us a great opportunity to hear some uh, some sweet organ music coming in uh, mm-hmm. as Lancel's own organs are probably at least slightly injured. Uh, it's you know, it's it's just good television. I think I think to 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 pull on it too much is to is to undo a beautiful moment. Mm-hmm. Heard but that they really, before. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but knock, it, knock. It, oh, God, no. <laughs> Get him out of here. Talking about undoing a beautiful moment. Sorry. <laughs> that being said, uh, so Lancel's going to start to uh, work his way down the hallway. Uh, meanwhile, Marjorie, that the alarm bells are really going off for her. She's like, we got to get out of here. That's it. We got to get with this is this place is doomed. Yeah, no, it's great. And this is where she goes to the high sparrow and is like really trying to to plead the case of like, this is not good. Cersei's not here. Tommen's not here. Why do you think they're not here? Because we are in grave danger. The trial can wait. We need to leave. And the high sparrow is really just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, and I, I think that this is so great. I, I really think that they do such a good job resolving these two arcs, especially. I think the high sparrow, who is, um, you know, he is he's so arrogant in his faith and his blind faith to these powers that be uh, and allowing him to just feel like I have all of the answers. I know everything. Just trust me. Uh, and Marjorie finally letting the the act, uh, you know, wear off for a moment where the long play that she's going for here 
also matters less than the trial. You know, the trial and and the the, the gambit that she's been pulling here with the with the high sparrow. Those are things that can be resolved at a future date. It's not going to matter much if they're all about to be executed, which she is you know seriously beginning to suspect is about to happen. And of course, she's right. Uh, it's just great. It's it's really genius the way that they pull it off. I, I actually am very very happy with the ultimate Marjorie Tyrell arc. I think they do such a good job here. Okay. Lancel uh, gets closer and closer as uh, Marjorie is trying to get her and Loras out, but the guards will not let the Tyrells out. Yeah, I love how she just like scoops up Loras, who's so out of it at this point. He's just he's so toasted already at this point, even before he's like literally toasted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love that moment. Loras, stay with me. when when Margie's looking at her brother, like it's not just that they're giving due credit to her intelligence, but they're also giving due credit to how much she loves her family, how much she's trying to fight for her family here. And it's just it's too too little too late there's nothing she can do when the might of the the faith militant is there you just can't push past that in a moment of desperation like this no you cannot and ultimately lancel's gonna get close 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 but uh, not close enough because uh this place is going to blow yeah we get the we get the big explosion this is what brand saw in his vision just a couple of episodes back we see the green wildfire igniting uh we hear the trembling of something coming to the sept of baylor we're inside the sept and we have the perspective of marjorie who now knows something is happening and the high sparrow especially who it's really dawning upon him like wait what's going on uh and the the show does us the kindness of not having to watch marjorie specifically get incinerated in wildfire we can do the imagining for ourselves the high sparrow does not get off quite as lucky uh we do get to see him go up in green flames the whole sept gets destroyed it's flattened like a pancake the bell is flung into the middle of the city it squashes some poor guy before his remains are charred by wildfire and all the while cersei is just watching from a distance and just the the look on Lena Hetty's face as she plays this part. Really amazing. Really amazing as she just like chugs some wine and just watches the fireworks. Yeah, great reaction from Cersei to all of this. This is her great moment of triumph, right? Like this is the, this is the most triumphant Cersei Lannister we have ever seen. Uh she's pleased. She's pleased. She does not even flinch. She's not even like, uh, ha ha, good one. You know, <laughs> like, uh, let me drink my wine here and let me savor this. Yeah. Like, all, I mean, it really, it's just like, it's, she's, she's just, she, it doesn't matter how many like innocent lives were lost in the process. So no. many people have just been killed all to kill just a precious few. I think in her mind, uh, are, are there any innocent lives? probably just like the commoners but i think that she doesn't speak uh, or think too highly of them well, anymore after well, the whole I think walk the, of shame in her mind i feel like that they're gonna pay also you know it, i think that that's part of this where you know all if all those people are gonna die too good yeah yeah i think so or at the very least like uh the the great show of power i think is really all that she needs um you know uh, as she's planning what's going to happen next i mean we're never really going to have a clear answer of what she thought was going to happen next i mean she doesn't imagine that tom is going to throw himself to his death in a couple no. of minutes so she you got to imagine that she thinks that she's just going to still be like kind of whispering in her son's ear as he's the king um so you just you never really know exactly what she thought was going to 
going to happen next. But I think that given that she's going to end up on the throne, that this is a move that she is happy to have under her belt, that she'll be able to lean into this as like, okay, well, now they know not to F with me. Okay. So Cersei goes uh, from this. Uh, She ends up uh, leaving to attend to other business. We see uh, the mountain uh, walk away from Tom and leave him unattended. He's got another job to do the mountain. Um, Yeah, we need him for something else. Yeah, Cersei may have wanted to time this one out a little bit better. I think that Cersei's first order of business probably ought to have been like going immediately to Tom and being like, yo, what happened? That's crazy. Oh, my God. Because at the very least, maybe he's just going to go run into the burning building. Right, right. But at the very least, he's going to be like very upset over what just happened. You would imagine that it's going to be hard not to notice that the Sept of Baylor was just destroyed. Uh, yeah. So you would think that maybe she wants to be there to, to you know, pick up her son when he falls emotionally. But, uh, <laughs> right. Not, not quite. So do you feel like that Tommen knows instantly that his mother is behind this? Yeah, I would guess so, right? Like, I mean, otherwise, I don't think that he would do what he ends up doing. I mean, maybe not. I mean, the other possibility could be that he doesn't know. And like, he also thinks that she's been destroyed as well. And he's kind of like, everybody's gone now. I just need to kill myself. But I don't think that it's as dramatically powerful. I think it's more powerful dramatically if Tommen does what he does, thinking that his mother was responsible for it. And I think that he has reason to believe that that's the case, uh, certainly with the mountain preventing him from leaving. I don't think that he's. Uh, you know, I think he's smart enough to figure out why it's two and two together of like, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. Septonella somehow was missing from the proceedings. You think that the high sparrow was like a, hold on. Where's, where's Anella? Can't do this without Anella. She's a key person in all these proceedings. Yeah. Who's no, going to say shame? No, he was too excited to just get this thing going. Should have been more patient. It's not like Anella for to sleep in. She's never missed one of these things. Yeah. She's a key cog in the sparrows. Yeah, she was sick that day, maybe. Hmm. Maybe she maybe she phoned in that she couldn't come in. She had the flu. Septaflunella. <laughs> and so Cersei uh, stands over her and uh, she's got a, a great monologue here. Uh, talks about how uh, she does things because they feel good. If it feels good, do it. That's Cersei's motto. You know, and that's not a bad way to live your life to a point. You know, Mm. (laughs) like be kind to yourself. You know, you want to you want to do things that make you feel good. But I think the part that Cersei's leaving out that people should probably pay more attention to is like you want to feel good, but not at the expense of other people feeling good. Like if you're feeling good makes everybody feel really dead, then probably that's not a feel good strategy that you should be adopting. No, probably not. And so uh, she goes through the whole thing about, you know, everything she does. And it feels good to confess about all these things uh, that she's doing. And then she it feels good to talk about how she killed the High Sparrow. It feels good to be with Jamie. So uh, Septa and Ella is uh, not thrilled about this development. Yeah, and it also sucks that she just got like all this wine poured on her face and everything. So on top of everything else, it's got to be like really sticky. So just like physically very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right, and it stains. I would be so it's upset. Red wine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Give me a shower after that. I don't <laughs> think. I don't think that's in the cards. Yeah. And then Cersei uh, tells that uh, Septonella, "Hey, remember I said that I'd be the last person that you saw when you were going to die." Uh, Septonella says, "Good, fine." Uh, that's fine with me. And then I'm, I'm ready, ready to, to go. The gods. 
Yeah, and Cersei's like, ah, yeah, but well, about that, I don't know about that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not going to die today. Yeah. It's going to be a while. And we could, you know, spare some of the details of what uh, Cersei has planned with for the, the mountain to uh, do to Septa Inella. Do you think through the end of season seven, do you think Septa Inella is alive or dead? I, I, How long do you think they're keeping that going? You know, uh, I don't know if uh, the mountain is uh, gonna. It, it, yeah, I think he's got one speed. That guy uh, that I think he only knows how to uh, to hurt people. I don't think that there's. He's the type of torturer that can really stretch things out. Yeah, I don't. I don't like Septimella's odds right now. No, I, I. I would be genuinely shocked if we ever saw her again on Game of Thrones. I'm very shocked. Um, I would say Cereo Pharrell has a better shot of turning up in the final season than Septa Anella. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet. Yeah. I mean, okay. he's not showing up. So, <laughs> <laughs> what you say? But if, if one of them is showing up, I would say Cereo Pharrell over Septa Anella. I think that this is the end of this storyline for sure. Okay. Another storyline is about to end as Tommen is going to uh, go out the window. Yeah. Peace out, Tommen. Uh, that's the end for uh, young Dean Charles Chapman's time on Game of Thrones. Unless season eight has room for another character that he could play. Third time's the charm. Yes. He had uh, a couple of good runs. First, <laughs> Martin Lannister. Yeah. Marty! <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe Marty could return in yes. some oh, sort of so time you think travel that, capacity. Yeah, Tommen jumped out the window, but then uh, the flying DeLorean caught him. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was all just a mess with old Biff. Mr. Brown. What are you doing here? Yeah. This is a serious episode. Would it be serious? Tommen Tommen is gone, Josh. Tommen is gone. I'm very sad to see Tommen go once again. Uh I really I really like that character. I think that they they do a really good job of um psychologically brutalizing this poor boy before his death. Uh the the series really paints Tommen into a few difficult corners. Um and then they leave him painted in several corners. Uh it's not good. It's a tough ending for the poor man. Okay. We go from Tommen to uh, Walder Frey celebrating a big party up at the uh, Twins. Yeah, the, so the Freys are throwing a rager at the Twins because they're so psyched that the River Run situation is unraveled and the Lannister and Frey alliance forever is uh, alliance is going to be existing forever. Walder is co-opting the, the Lannister house words as the new words for House Frey. Uh, I don't know how Jamie feels about that. Yeah, uh, he doesn't love it. He doesn't love it. He's uh, not impressed with hanging out with Walter Frey. This scene's interesting uh, on a rewatch because Jamie and Bronn are going to be, you know, getting drunk in the corner a little bit, eating their dinner. Jamie seems unhappy. Bronn is like going to be uh, telling Jamie like, oh, stop being like such a such a little jerk. You know, this is a great day for you. Look, that handmaiden over there, she's into you. 
we know that that handmaiden is not into Jamie Lannister. We know that that handmaiden is secretly Arya Stark with a different face. Uh, we also know that this handmaiden is not only going to kill. Uh, I wouldn't Frey. throw the term uh, "we" around, Josh, because I think that we've uh, long know that you are much smarter and uh, much more tapped in than I am, and so this you're you're informing me on this stuff. So oh, uh, I okay. did not make the connection that the women that were eyeing Jamie and Braun was actually the girl that Arya is pretending to be later on in the episode. Well, one of them is. The first one that's really sizing up Jamie and Bronn saying like, oh, you're just, you're Jamie Lannister. Everyone wants to be with you. That girl is looking at Jamie because she's Arya Stark looking at Jamie Lannister, who you would think that she'd want to kill. And so it makes me wonder why, why don't you just let him go? Hmm. You know, why not just yeah. take him out? She hadn't had any direct interaction with Jamie Lannister. And maybe if Jamie Lannister ends up getting off here, then it, it makes it harder for her to complete her mission. Also, Jamie's going to storm out of the castle uh, after this conversation with Walter Frey. So maybe that was in the cards, potentially. Like if Jamie's like, leaves. yeah, I like it here. I'm going to hang out here for a couple more nights. It seems like he's sort of like, all right, I'm done here. Yeah. OK, I'll, I'll buy that. Mm-hmm. I accept that. I think yeah. that's good. If he stuck around long enough, she would have got him. Yeah, probably true. Mm, yeah, but no, I did not. I did not catch that. Yeah, well, there you go. You learn something new every day. Learn something new, or or maybe I knew it and I forgot it. That's also very possible. <laughs> there's so so there's such a detail oriented uh, episode, let alone series. So yeah, yeah. but uh, Walter Frey and Jamie uh, have a conversation. I actually really did like this conversation where Walter Frey is sort of like patting himself on the back, and Jamie is like, uh, "Yeah, uh, you're 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 awesome." And Walter Frey like picks up on his sarcasm. He's like, "Oh, go ahead, mock me. Feel good, yeah. you know." What? Yeah, We're both you know. king slayers, you and I. Yeah. You know, we're King Slayers. The Tullys mocked me forever. The Starks mocked me. And where are they now, buddy? Yeah. Nice. Uh, you know, you can make fun of me all you want, but uh, all my enemies are gone. Yeah. Fear is his weapon. He doesn't mm. need to be a sword fighter. He he wields fear like a weapon. Uh, and Jamie is quick to counter that. Uh, it's not you that they fear. Yeah. They fear me. They fear us. They fear the Lannisters. We gave you the Riverlands to hold the Riverlands. If we have to ride north and take them back for you every time you lose them, why do we need you? Uh, so he leaves Walder Frey uh, in the wind there with that uh, real decisive argument of the, the Lannisters over the Freys every day of the week. Okay, so we end up going back to Kyburn. He uh, has Tommen's body there. Cersei makes uh, Kyburn show her the body. She wants to see. I think uh, at this point she, you know, she's pretty... It's hard to know exactly where she is at this point because I think it takes somebody to uh, – you have to have really gone pretty far off the deep end to to have like just so casually done what she had done earlier in the day um, that the the sort of stone-facedness that she uh, exhibits here and not in the grayscale sense mm-hmm. uh, over her son like I think really solidifies just how far gone she is at this point. But I think also like when you think back to the, the evolution of – of Cersei losing her children and the reactions that she conveyed over the course of the three different deaths. Like with Joffrey, she has him in her arms as he's dying and she is obviously a wreck on the day of the purple wedding. She's very, uh, very sad losing her daughter when she sees her daughter and she's talking to Jamie about thinking about what's going to happen to her body now. And here she is confronted with the third and final loss 
and she's kind of just like put him on the fire you know just he he should be with everybody else his ashes should just be with the the other ashes Mm -hmm. stone cold yeah he should be with his grandfather that's it it's crazy Mm -hmm. cersei's just like all the way in at this point yeah terrifying stuff this is a terrifying person to consider considering she really hasn't changed much since this moment in the seven episodes we still have yet to talk about with the final six episodes also still on the board that cersei the the cersei that we see in this episode if anything is just like thinking about being worse than she's been (laughs) at this point so this is a horrifying once you've broken bad josh you know she's gone full heisenberg it's Mm -hmm. very scary i won Mm -hmm. you know all right so sam and gilly are here in uh the episode and you know look we've had a lot of exciting stuff happen so far (laughs) but we're gonna see the citadel for the first time that's cool right like that's fun it's fine yeah. You know, we're going to see the white ravens and stuff like that's nice. Mm-hmm. And so Sam and Gilly, uh, they are uh, they've reached Old Town and they're going to show up. And Sam, uh, you know, I have an appointment. They were the okay. the maesters were expecting me. Yeah, and it's uh, what, what's the exact phrasing? Since this is irregular, the the maester who's yes. like the clerk at the uh, <laughs> yes. at the Citadel is going to say. And your name is. <laughs> And you are. <laughs> I'm sorry, all of the maesters are, are busy right now. Could you take a seat? Yeah, but yeah. he lets he lets Sam and Gilly into the library at least, so they can uh, they can go and they can read some books while they wait. I mean, this has to be at the very least the coolest waiting room in all of Westeros. Yes, uh, cool library, lots of things from the only credits. Sam can go in though. Yeah. Yes, uh, Gilly can wait outside. She can't read anyway, and 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 uh, the baby could cry. You gotta stay quiet in the library. She can read. She's learned how to read, right? Like she's gonna get that sweet Rhaegar Targaryen. In I think she eventually learns. It. She's just starting to learn how to read. She, she's starting. She's starting. This would be a great place to learn more, though. Yeah. Okay. So John at Winterfell, uh, that he's gonna check in with Melisandre. Yeah, you know, he's kind of walking around the hall and he's like, oh, Melisandre, it's so crazy that I'm the I'm the man in charge here. I used to I used to sit in the in the nosebleeds and now I'm going to be at the head of the table. Yeah, it's so like, could, be worse. could be worse. Yeah. At least you had a feast. At least you got yeah. to be, be to live here. Uh, Davos storms in. Hard to imagine that this is the first time that uh, Davos and Melisandre were able to have a chat. Um, who knows how far removed from Battle of the Bastards we are. Davos was in the thick of the fight at the time. Yeah, too. but he like barges in like, I've been looking for you everywhere. Well, he's probably on a very long walk, relieving himself where no one could hear him as he was getting ready. That's to only go before into a battle. battle. Uh, this, this is a battle. This, okay. this is yeah. a battle. OK, and he throws the stag statuette at Melisandre and says, uh, 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 well, he didn't say anything that John says, what's that? And then uh, I was like, tell him, tell him what it is. Yeah. And Melisandre's like, Ooh, busted. I'm in trouble. Mm -hmm. Should she have been like, uh, I don't, I, I don't know what this is. I have no idea. (laughs) What is that? It's a toy. I don't play with toys. I'm Mm. an adult. I'm a 500 year old adult. Uh, yeah, she just kind of owns it pretty quickly. She's like, yeah, I yeah. burned the princess Shireen at the stake. Mm-hmm. She said, but, but I only did it because the Lord like told me to. 
Right. So not that big of a deal. It's a big Mm -hmm. deal for Davos. It's a big deal for Davos. It's going to be a big deal for Jon Snow as well, considering he's got that, you know, uh, what are they called? A moral compass. I think, yes. Yes. Is the phrase. <laughs> because you know? she's like, well, no, 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 no. We had to do it. We had to do it. Things were things were dire. And, uh, you know, uh, her father and mother, they knew we had to do it. And I was like, for what? What did yeah. that do? Nothing happened. They, they all, all died. <laughs> they all died. You killed them for nothing. Hmm. You lied. And Melisandre says, I didn't lie. I was wrong. Hmm. That's a good Uh, line. I'm going to save that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That could, that could come in handy. I was, I was just wrong. Yeah. I got it wrong. I, you know, I wasn't trying to be deceptive. Uh, it was just a total misread of the situation. I don't know what's worse. Uh, but either way, Davos is not satisfied. He wants blood, blood for blood, an eye for an eye. Uh, John is not willing to to give it to, uh, to Davos. He's he's gonna at least allow Melisandre to leave with her life. Shades of Jorah Mormont here, Danny and Jorah Mormont sending him mm-hmm. away. Yeah, uh, John is gonna do the same thing. Just get out of here. Don't come back. And if you do, then uh, we're gonna hang you. Yeah, it's not gonna be good. So you should go. Okay. All right. So out goes Melisandre. Yeah, and uh, you know, to date we have not seen uh, Melisandre and Davos in the same room together again. Melisandre is at least partly responsible for Daenerys and Jon Snow hanging out, uh, so we're going to see her around Dragonstone very briefly next season. But this is close to the final Melisandre that we've gotten. Um, she's very barely in season seven, so mm, yeah, the the book she, is still to be written. Where, where does she? She just shows up on on Dragonstone. Yeah, she shows up to hang out with Daenerys and be like, oh, you're you're really cool. Guess who else is really cool? Jon Snow. I think the two of you are going to do great like, oh, things you together. Come with us. You should come with us. And also just like, I, uh, reason. I have a thing. Can't. Uh, Can't. Double booked. All right. So Jon goes from one conversation with a woman with red hair to another. He's going to go check in with uh, Sansa. Yeah, he says he's, uh, you know, they're kind of like negotiating, like who gets what in Winterfell. He's like, you can have mom's room. You can have mom and dad's room. He's like, no, mm-hmm. it's yours. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So they're talking about uh, the Battle of the Bastards, how, you know, Sansa, that was, I have to say that you got the Knights of the Vale to come. That was pretty awesome. That was good. That was pretty, pretty good. Mm-hmm. She's like, well, I should have told you. No, it really it made no reason, no sense for me to not tell you, but I guess it all worked out. Yeah. John's very forgiving. You know, he, he's like, listen, he everybody's, he's like, everyone's been talking about this on the Internet for a week already. Anyway, let's just get over that. Yar yar past that stuff. We just need to trust each other. We can't fight a war amongst ourselves. We have too many enemies now. So the two of them are back on the same page at this point. Yes, uh, but they uh, got a memo from the Citadel. Winter is here. Yeah, I mean, doesn't that seem backwards that the the maesters at the Citadel need to tell Winterfell when it's winter? Yeah, but I think at Winterfell, it's like always winter. So, you know, like you can't really judge the seasons of Westeros by how wintry it is in Winterfell because uh, it's sort of Winterfell's default. But if it's snowing in uh, Old Town, 
It's like this is not a place where it should be snowing unless it didn't look like it was snowing snowing in Old Town. It was like a little tiny bit, maybe. Maybe it's just like the wind chill had. Maybe get a light jacket. Yeah. And, and yeah. I guess you the, you got to let the Starks know as soon as it is winter because they're the ones I was like, my winter is coming. So they want to be the first one like, yeah, we know. Yeah, we know. We told mm-hmm. you. We've been telling you for generations. Mm-hmm. OK, let's go from the winter to uh, where it's always summer in Dorne. <sighs> Mercifully, it's a very quick scene in Dorne and it's got some Lady Olena in it and a tiny bit of Varys. So how bad can it be? This has to be a top scene in Dorne. <laughs> yeah maybe the best door it's a low bar it's a yeah. low bar and yeah. so uh, low bara. yeah so we see the sand snakes and uh, uh hilarious sand talking with lady elena and uh what they want is the same thing vengeance and justice vengeance and justice uh justice fa- fa- brother <laughs> uh yeah varus like shows up from the shadows and goes fire and blood a mm-hmm. book by george R. R. martin that should not be out if the winds of winter is not out yet. Right. Uh, it's weird the how they summon Varys. Yeah. No, he's just there. You know, he's hanging out. Mm-hmm. Okay. The only other real good thing from this scene is uh, Lady Olena just like shading all of the sand snakes. Yeah, she's roasting them. Obara says something like, you know, trying to get under the Queen of Thorns' skin. And she's just like, what's your name again? Barbaro? Mm-hmm. She's like, it's Obara. Come Whatever. on. Yeah, that's fun. Okay. She's just like an angry little boy. Josh, it's time to say goodbye to Dario. Fine by me. Oh, I thought you were big Dario stan. You know what? I like Dario, but he's getting in the way of my OTP. Mm. (laughs) You know what? (laughs) I have to say for Dario, what's the the dario high water mark what's the best dario moment in the series and is it even with this dario yeah it's the pants drop yeah that's it that's the one that's the that's the the dariere is probably the high point of dario it's Mm -hmm. like that dario's butt is the is the best dario moment of the show it's a great moment. I enjoy the moment. I think uh, when he throws the knife at the champion of Marine, that's pretty good. Um, and I think when he bashes the guy's head in with a rock is pretty good as well. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it might be when old Dario shows up with the other two guys from the second son's heads in the duffel bag. That was pretty cool as well. It's just so odd because Dario changes so dramatically. Yeah, as soon I'm just as saying, I think that could, be the, that could be the high point for Dario on the show. Uh, I, I'm not a big Dario guy. Yeah, well, I think it's because they had to recast him. And so it's hard to ever feel like really settled with Dario. It's just so unusual. It's like I there's so many characters from the books that they didn't bring in in the first place that they feel the need to recast Dario altogether rather than like find some way to fill the Dario void with a different character. You know what I mean? If like the guy's not going to come back and just say Dario died off screen and here's Mario and he's the <laughs> second in command. I'm going to save son. the princess. <laughs> it's a me, Mario Naharis. <laughs> uh, you know, that would be great. That would be fine. You know, mm-hmm. the plumber, the plumber saves the day. Sure. Okay. So Dario is getting pumped up. It's it's all happening. We're gonna do this. And so she's like, "Yeah, you're not coming. You'll stay here. Yeah, You'll stay yeah, here." Sorry. What? You and the second sons. You gotta. What? 
you got to hang tight. You got to make sure that everything stays nice and peaceful here in Marine. And Dario is is bummed about this. He's like, I love you. How am I ever going to follow up uh, being in love with a queen? This is terrible. Woe is me. And but Daenerys Danny, says, I want to yeah. be in the invasion. Uh, no. Well, you, s- no. You stay in Marine. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. I don't know why Dario just became Lucille Ball, but I'm <laughs> yeah, fine with it. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. He can't go. He can't be in the show. Yeah. You're staying behind. You got to go to Hill House. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you work You work on it. And he's like, well, what? Well, I could be like your concubine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I like that from Dario, though, at the very least. It's like, I'm totally fine to be your, your, you know, your, your hot booty call. Like, I don't need to be anything else. Like, I don't have any ego. I'm not going to get jealous. You could be with whoever you need to be with. I just really want to hang out. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I, I get that. That's great. But uh, I, I never told you this. And you're really forcing my hand here. It's your breath. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dario tries to say, oh, the dwarf told you to do this. Yeah, this is very clever. Can't argue with the logic. I am not of use to you over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's like, like from a strategic standpoint, he's like, ah, damn it, I get it. Ugh, it's so annoying, but I get it. Yeah, he takes it for he takes it well. He does. Okay, he does. I do. I do like that exchange where he's like, "Who comes after you? Who can ever follow Daenerys Stormborn, the Mother of Dragons?" And Danny says, "A great number of women, I imagine." Yes. Um, and uh, we're gonna rename Slavers Bay Bay of Dragons. Yeah, and it's a great name considering some people uh, consider Daenerys the Bay of Dragons. <laughs> How about that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, farewell, Dario. And that's it. That's it. That's a wrap and on Dario. I would say Dario is likelier to appear in the final season than Serio, but Pharrell. not by much. But not by a ton. Not, not by, by a ton. A ton. Okay. Not by a ton. All right. Uh, and then we see Tyrion and uh, Daenerys talking about this. Uh, the, all this, the, like, Tyrion's like the, you know, uh, best friend in the romantic comedy here. Yeah. And, like, if you take Peter Dinklage's word at it, he's he's feeling like, um, you know, always a bridesmaid, never a bride about it. Uh, Peter Dinklage has talked about how he thinks that Tyrion is in love with Daenerys. Uh, and I, I wonder if that's going to manifest in the final season at all. Uh, I think it's something that at the very least watch out for in their interactions together. And I think in this scene, like the way that he talks to her, he does like there is a little bit of that quality of how he himself is kind of drawn to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that he is uh, falling for her, does that up the chances that he's related to her too? <laughs> Probably, right? Mm-hmm. yeah okay. i think so uh but it's great I, I i love this uh this moment where Tyrion says like how crazy is it that this is happening it's yeah actually happening we're leaving hey you've only been waiting for this for two seasons Tyrion. yeah i mean yeah Tyrion, it is crazy welcome to the party dude mm-hmm. and so yeah you got your ships you got dragons your armies everything you wanted yeah you've got it all it's mm-hmm. all about to happen uh, you know, he's still not consoling her. Daenerys is still upset because she's she's not thrilled that she had to dump Dario. She gets it and she feels like she'll probably be fine. Mm-hmm. She's just not she's not happy. She felt very impatient to get on with it with Dario. And so she's like very like self-critical. Yeah. Uh, but it seems like that she's up. She's like bummed out. Like, yeah, I just dumped him and I don't even care. 
Right. Don't feel exactly. Anything. Exactly. I think that that's just kind of where she's at with all of this, where she's just like, I don't know. It's like when you're depression's a weird thing, man. Like you can be in a really successful position and things are really going well for your career, but you just still like feel kind of empty. And that's sort of what's happening with Danny here. She's like, I untied the Miranese knot. I just made an alliance with the Greyjoys and I got a whole bunch of ships. Uh, I'm finally going into Westeros and I feel nothing. It's very relatable, honestly. Mm -hmm. All right. That's it. That's all I've got. (laughs) Why are you planning an invasion? (laughs) Thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, Danny has a uh, present for Tyrion that she has a pin to make him the hand of the queen. Wow. H-O-T-Q. They are going steady. Uh, she has pinned Tyrion and he's very touched by the gesture. He is now the hand of the queen and he kneels and it's uh, it's great. I mean, redemption for Tyrion at this point in his mind, I'm sure uh, he feels like he is on that path of like, I finally have some purpose again. And it's nice to see Tyrion in this mode after uh, what a low he was in uh, at the start of season five. And I think that his, his work in season six, a little stronger than we had given him credit for on, uh, you know, the, the distance that we had had from the airing of season six. I still think that there's probably like the, the casterly rock plan is a big whiff, but, uh, maybe we should be a little kinder in our estimation of Tyrion. Hey, maybe we'll see something when we watch it and see, maybe it wasn't as bad as we thought. Yeah. You know, we're getting close. So we'll find out. Okay. All right. So let's go back to Walder Frey and uh, that he is uh, getting some food brought to him uh, by this uh, nice handmaiden. Yeah. Who happens to be, wait for it, Aya Stock. And she has murdered a whole bunch of Freys and grinded them up and put them in pies. I don't know how she knows to uh, peel back like this specific corner of puff pastry and reveal like a thumb yeah like did she like it's a plant hot pie that trick there? yeah uh yeah maybe he taught maybe. her seems a little extra uh the okay i'm gonna kill some guys and then i'm gonna turn them into food and then i'm gonna serve them because i like does walter frey even eat a bite of what she's serving or that he's already been eating it and she brings him more no oh, maybe it's that she is you know getting other phrase to eat each other so there's some pleasure there but yeah you would think that at the very least she would allow walder to eat some fray pie before she she kills him this is another uh easter egg from the books where there's a the the great character wyman manderley who is very briefly in this episode but not in any kind of memorable way uh really really fun character in the book and it's speculated that he who is pretending to be uh in league with the phrase or at least like lightly aligned with the phrase uh ends up just like murdering a bunch of them and turning them into pies so they gave that to aria here it doesn't really hold up especially well under scrutiny i don't mm-hmm. think like the either like how did she physically do this or if you want to just accept that yeah Arya we'll, just, fi- we'll just go with it we'll just like go if with you ex- but if you accept that she could physically do it then at the very uh least like this is a real indictment of where aria is psychologically like this is a very messed up thing to be doing to other human mm-hmm. beings yeah (laughs) maybe is it possible is it possible that you know she killed them and then just stuck a finger in a pie and that the whole pie is not fray i you know what i hope that's correct just for (laughs) for the sake of like our our continued peace with Arya stark but i have a feeling there's a lot more fray in those pieces of pie 
Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, she peels that back and uh, she says, uh, hey, my name is Arya Stark. And uh, the last thing you're going to see is a Stark smiling down on you as you die. What? Yeah. Strigoi. 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 Uh, it's the end of uh, of Abraham Satrakian, a.k.a. Walter Frey. Yeah. He is finally toasted, but it is not the end of David Bradley's time on Game of Thrones. So one more one more run. Uh, although more. The, the whole Frey pie thing is still less gross than anything that ever happened on the strain. Oh, God. I'm still thinking about when the rock stars thing. Have, oh, God. It was awful. Strigoi. Strigoi. <laughs> Get me out okay. of here. All right. Sansa and Littlefinger are going to have a, a moment. They are. Uh, she's going to yeah. be in the Godswood. Um, I, you know, just really quickly, just to go back to the Arya thing real fast. Uh, I really do feel like this does not bode well for me in terms of uh, feeling like Arya is going to make it out of Game of Thrones. And part of that is because she's really showing off in the killing of Walder Frey. Like she's really stopping down to enjoy the murdering of one of the, the longest held enemies on her list. I feel like that's the kind of thing that's really going to serve her poorly in the future. If she ever tries to like go up against Cersei Lannister and she basically does like the vigilante equivalent of monologuing before mm-hmm. making her move, like that's going to give somebody the opening to take her out. I wonder if something like that is in Arya's future that she's like going to try and do something kind of flashy and she's going to get burned for it. Uh, it's, it's possible. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, it could uh, red viper it up. Yeah, that never works out for people. And just because mm-hmm. she's Arya Stark, is it going to always work out for Arya as it does here? Or is she going to really come to regret that? Like, that's a real cautionary tale, as you say, the Red Viper one. So, mm-hmm. uh, scared. Okay. Anyway, okay. So Sansa and Littlefinger, they're talking. S- all right. Sansa and Littlefinger are going to talk about... I was watching uh, Bohemian Rhapsody the other day uh, with my wife. She's like, who is that guy? I was like, it's Littlefinger. Oh, yeah. Littlefinger's in it, isn't he? Yeah, there he is. I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Uh, also, uh, Mr. Robot is in uh, that movie. Did you know that? <laughs> Christian Slater? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then uh, Littlefinger and Sansa are talking and, uh, um, you know, the, so, you know uh, Sansa, she's talking about uh, how, uh, you know, I guess it's more Littlefinger talking creepy stuff about uh, that he has a vision. Yeah, he's got a vision. He wants he's to a rule. vision board. Yes, yes. He he. Every time he closes his eyes, he sees himself on the Iron Throne with Sansa at his side, and uh, he tries to kiss Sansa. And Sansa's like, "Yeah, no, we've done this before, and I'm not really feeling it." Uh, and this maybe should be like an early sign uh, for Littlefinger that his uh, his manipulative Dude, she's not into you. Sway. Yeah, it's just really not happening. Oh, you'll see. Will she? Mm, no, 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 not really. No, not really. But we're, you know, we're now in the, uh, we're, we're really in the, the little finger descent at this point. <laughs> so, uh, right at the bottom. Very close. Don't tell me that my plan is bad. Bad mm, plan. It's not a good plan. Not a great plan. Uh, okay. Uh, she's like, uh, well, look, I've declared for House Stark. Yeah, for all the world to see. Uh, and Sansa is probably like, I think ultimately, you know, thank you, but like probably a bad call for you. Yeah, thank you next. 
Yeah. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is genuinely what's going to be happening here. Right. Uh, they will have a moment later on in the episode. Yeah, they'll have like a little bit of a look because they got to give Sansa a little something to do next season. But for all intents and purposes, this is done. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, where to go beyond the wall. Uh, cold hands is here. Yeah, Benjamin's like, Benjamin yeah, is well, here. I was here for a minute. Now I got to go away again. Just had to, you know, tick that line off for the for the people who really needed the Benjamin is cold hands thing. So, yeah. OK, bye. Bye. Yeah. Okay, so he's still in the battle, uh, but Bran needs to log into the Treaternet really quick. Yes, he's going to plug in. He's the Three-Eyed Raven now. He needs to finish processing everything that the original Three-Eyed Raven was trying to, uh, you know, hook him up with. And um, Mira wonders if he's ready for this, and Bran says, I gotta be ready. I'm the Three-Eyed Raven. Yep. Why? Why now? Why? Why log into the treaternet now? Like, why not? Like, OK, well, you know, what? let's we're almost at Castle Black. Let's you know, there's going to be other weirwood trees on the other side. Let's just let's just get past the wall. You know, guys are still chasing us. Right. Presumably. Yeah. Well, it's like, well, it is know. the season finale. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like it's the season finale. Uh, he was left with like a real cliffhanger when he was downloading all the intel before. He just wants to finish the episode, you know? Mm, yeah. It's like you're um, at the end of your commute and you know that like you probably don't quite have enough time to finish watching what it is you're watching without missing your stop. So you get off your your bus or your train or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you just like you pull up a little bit to like a corner of the station. You're like, I'm, I'm just going to finish watching this right here before I go home because I really want to see what happens. And that's okay, what he so, wants with right. the Tower of Troy. So, all right, so he was it was a cliffhanger. He needs to see what's going to happen. Yeah, so resolution. Let's go back to the Tower of Joy. Marty! Uh, yeah, so he goes back to the Tower of Joy. He, you know, he's like, he screams at his dad. His dad turns I'll around. I'll enjoy being in, in that tower. <laughs> I know you will. <laughs> Almond always enjoyed that uh, joke, by the way. This is a great one. Really great. Uh, so he goes up and he follows his dad and his dad goes into the room and Liana is there. And we all know what's happening here. This is the fulfillment of uh, decades of fan theories about what happened at the Tower of Joy. It is the it is the confirmation of the worst kept secret in Game of Thrones lore that Liana mm-hmm. Stark is Jon Snow's mother. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so that uh, we see the baby, a uh, very well-behaved baby. Uh, yeah, really great baby. Jon Snow, just he was a chill kid from the jump. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Liana tells Ned, I've missed you, big brother. Uh, something you've never said. <laughs> never, literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so uh, she's not doing good. She's uh, in, uh, some would say, a, a bed of blood. Yeah, it's bad. Uh, she's really, she's not doing well. She's uh, she's clearly going to die. Ned is frantic. He's like, can we call a maester? Uh, and there's nothing a maester can do. Liana is on her way out. She understands this. Uh, and she is going to make Ned promise to protect her child. Promise me, Ned, promise me. And this was the, you know, these were the haunting words that followed Ned Stark through his adulthood, through his final days on Earth, uh, or Planetos, if you prefer. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you. 
Yes, and uh, it's it's all very emotional, and the music is soaring underneath the moment, and the camera goes to the baby's face, and it's zooming in on the baby's face, and then we cut to Winterfell, and the camera is zooming out of Jon Snow's face, and uh, millions of Game of Thrones fans across the world, their minds are melting in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, and uh, Jon Snow is that baby. He's the baby, the baby with the power. Yes. Okay. So we have a big meeting and, you know, these meetings could go either way on Game of Thrones. And so uh, people are, are shouting out. Uh, is it is it Jan Royce uh, saying uh, like, uh, we're not going to work with wildlings? Yeah, we don't know. We don't feel good about this wildling thing. We we keep hearing terrible stuff about wildlings. Why are we talking about wildlings right now? Yeah. And then the wildlings are like, uh, we hear that the Knights of the Vale are so stupid. <laughs> That's definitely what they say. Mm-hmm. So, word for word. Oh, yeah. Yawn Royce. Yeah. And so there is one voice in the room that is calling for unity, and that is Liana Mormont, who is so awesome. So great. Oh, she's great. She's great. I love it. You refused the call. You swore allegiance to House Stark, and in their hour of need, you refused the call. Mm-hmm. You've been screening House Stark's calls. Yeah. Hitting ignore. But yeah. I've been listening in with the FaceTime hack. And I've yeah. I've I've been Team Stark all the way through. Yeah, she's a real firebrand, uh, fresh young voice, uh, you know, in the north that's oh, just cutting through yeah, all the, po- the yeah. you know the the politics. That she's a, little vo- <laughs> a, a, a fresh voice that everybody uh-huh. can get behind. Sure, 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 absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. really <laughs> she's got a lot of bold ideas. People say she's she's uh, too out there. Yeah, Liana Mormont's Twitter game. You don't want to come after her on social media <laughs> and Instagram. You don't want, she's in yeah, you don't, you don't want to underestimate her. She'll she'll cut you down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and so uh, she's like, "Hey, look uh, that uh, that that Ned Stark's blood runs through his veins. Look, uh, I was four when he died, Ned Stark, but I hear he's awesome, so that's good enough yeah. for me." Yeah, yeah. So she's gonna back Jon Snow, and everybody is gonna get on Team Jon Snow pretty quickly here. Again, the aforementioned Wyman Manderly is going to be showing up here in a very lame version of the character from the book. He's gonna pledge his allegiance to Jon Snow, calling him the White Wolf, uh, which is a cool, cool branding, I think, for Jon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, House Glover is gonna be on board. Yeah, I love the way that uh, that Lord Glover just gives like the big uproarious the king in the north. It's been a while since we've had like a really good full throated king in the north chant. So this mm-hmm. is a satisfying moment for sure. And, and nobody's like, we're doing this again. We're doing it again. <laughs> just want to make it just want to make clear. This no. is not a drill. This is not a drill. Yeah. We're doing the whole king in the north thing again. Everyone's thrilled to do it. They're like, man, it's been so long and the show's so great when we're shouting King in the North. So let's just do it for like the, the, the rest of the episode here. What could go wrong? Nothing. Yeah. Definitely nothing. Uh, Sansa and Littlefinger have like a little luck. Like, uh, like you believe this? Like they're passing you over. Uh, yeah, yep, you're right. Good for you. You should have listened to me. And Sansa's like, ah, I'll entertain it for seven episodes. <laughs> I'll allow it. I'll think about it. <laughs> okay. Uh, meanwhile, Jamie is approaching King's Landing and, uh, sees, uh, some not good stuff. 
Yeah, we're in the final movement of the episode now. It's, you know, basically an extended montage where we're kind of taking stock of where the three leaders are heading into the final uh, or the penultimate season, rather, yeah. of Game of Thrones. You know, there's the King in the North declaration. Then we cut to King's Landing where Jamie shows up and he sees the coronation of Cersei Lannister. He gets to watch his sister become queen and is having to play catch up on all of the horrible things that must have happened to build to this moment. Mm -hmm. And so Jamie doesn't know what's wrong, but he is going to uh, say, all right, we got to go. We got to go check it out. Uh, Meanwhile, Cersei is going to be heading into the Red Keep. And it looks like that she's going to be named the new protector of the realm. Yeah, she's going to be she's going to be in charge. Cersei of the House Lannister, first of her name, Queen of the Andals and the First Men, Protector of the Seven Kingdoms. Long may she reign. Uh, it's uh, and everyone's like very like just on board with it pretty quickly. Everyone mm-hmm. else is is here with the long may she reign. Yeah, nobody's like, wait, hold on. Isn't she under she in, just, like, indictment m- for doing like people like uh, doesn't she have that, all these scandals and like, ah. No, she's queen of the Andals. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, I thought she had it's scandals. It's Andaled. No. Uh, yeah, so she's in charge. She and Jamie exchange a look. And Jamie, yeah. like, his spider sense is tingling. He's like, ah, this isn't good. Right, right. And uh, she's like, really? So everybody's like, uh, Cersei? Like, should we should we do a, a king's moot? And like, no, no, no. So that's very boring. Yeah, Just, she's the only person that's that is a Lannister or any or or any highborn person that's alive. So it's a King Ralph situation. Just allow it. Just allow it. <laughs> I think any other move and we're going to be very upset. Did you ever see King Ralph? No, I never saw King Ralph. Oh, yeah. The John Goodman is like a, it, it's, it's like a sole survivor. Uh, um, uh, was that the key? Was that the, no? The, what's the uh, Kiefer Sutherland show where he was the president? Oh, a designated survivor. Designated survivor. Yeah. Like John Goodman was like the, you know, one millionth in line to the British throne. And then all of the the highborn uh, British people like died taking like a family uh, portrait. And then this was John Goodman at the height of his powers in uh, during the run of Roseanne had a, a movie and he was the king of England. Wow. Yeah. I should check it out. Yeah. Do you think that they'll ever do a King Ralph designated survivor crossover? Uh, damn it. We're could it be a shared, could it be a shared universe? Hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe. Okay. We'll see how the Connors uh, work out, but Josh, uh, long may she reign queen Cersei. Queen Cersei, she's in charge. Meanwhile, another queen is making her way across the narrow sea, finally, to take on Cersei. As we see, Daenerys is leaving Essos behind and finally looking to make landfall on Westeros. Yeah. Boy, they got those uh, Targaryen sails uh, made up, uh, you know, pretty quick. That was pretty fast. Varys and the Queen of Thorns and uh, Alaria Sand and all of that, like that whole meeting took place and Varys was able to to get right back to Meereen in time to, to be on the main boat. Like that feels like he didn't really need to do that. That happened. Yeah, they could have like met well. up in, you know, someplace. It seems like a commute that you don't want to do unless you really have to. Unless Varys is a, is a boat guy. And it's just an underreported story, much like how it's underreported that right. Kirk Did- Clark likes blackberries. <laughs> I had no idea. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's underreported. <laughs> so is there like a, a Dornish fleet that needed to be brought in to move uh, the Dothraki? I didn't think so, but maybe. Maybe, because I kind of feel like, like, all right, well, we'll meet you at Dragonstone. That's the move. I agree. Yeah. So, OK, well, well that, you know, if we uh, if you ever have a chance to, uh, you know, interview, uh, you know, Benioff and Weiss, uh, put that on the list of questions. I'll definitely consider it. <laughs> I'll, I'll put it. I'll put it in consideration. It's on the wheel. Yeah, but I may break the wheel. Okay, uh, and the dragons are flying, and uh, that's it. That's a wrap for season six. Season six in the books. One season left to go, and winter was here until we're in the final six episodes of Game of Thrones. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're uh, in the grand game now. Oh my goodness! Is it that's great wild. game? We're in the great game now. Yeah, it's a great, but it's a it's grand too. It's great and grand. Yeah. So, uh, well, this was very fun today. I love this episode. This is great. It, it really does hold up. It's it's nice to know that those those final two episodes of season six really are as great as uh, as as they're uh, discussed. You know, people really are are very hyperbolic in their praise for those final two episodes, myself included. Uh, and I really do still stand by that. A lot of season six let me down. I thought that there were a lot more lows than I expected, but it does end uh, with two real highs yeah. uh, in these final two episodes. So let's just talk about the season as a whole. You know, uh, I think that in our mind season six oh that's a good season uh, but it really turned out to be uh that for eight episodes it's probably a weak season and then you know we reach you know really high highs in episode uh, nine and ten so how do you come down on the season overall is it uh, a sum of the parts or does the uh, end justify its means You know, I think if you're just like tearing through it really quickly, like if you're to sit down with the with the sixth season of Game of Thrones and binge it in fairly short order, I think a lot of those um, low points probably uh, are are less harmful. But I think when you're going week by week and you're having more time to just like spend with those moments and think about them a little more before moving on to the next thing, at least for me, they stand out a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Uh, So having having not watched it all in just like a single chunk, um, I don't have that take handy. I wonder if I would enjoy season six more. Um, But as I have been surprised by certain attributes of Game of Thrones along the way here, namely that I liked season five a lot more than I remembered liking season five. Once again, here I am with sort of the the inverse of that where i like season six a lot less than i remembered liking season six but having said that these final two episodes really are tremendous um the hound's little tiny arc is really really fun as well the the twist of the door is really great even if that episode otherwise is kind of bad actually like (laughs) not very good um and it goes to where you stand on as you've put it like uh is a do you do you rank an episode based on like its big lights out moment if it has like a real blockbuster moment that you remember or is an episode uh you know only as good as its worst scene i'm not entirely sure where i fall on that uh but i think that season six for me which i would have thought of very highly in terms of the late stage game of thrones um i'm thinking a little less highly leaving it other than the fact that the final two episodes really are just about as good as Game of Thrones ever gets. Yeah, 
I think that when you go back and watch a season of television or, you know, you binge a season, uh, I do think think that the ending means a lot. So I think it's probably better to have it this way where you have some low points along the way, but finish strong as opposed to where, you know, you had high points along the way, but then, you know, finish on sort of like a down or forgettable note. So uh, I think that ideally, you know, you'd love to be strong the whole way through. But if you have to pick, this is. Uh, not a bad way to go. So I'm very excited to get into the the penultimate season of Game of Thrones. Uh, have not rewatched any of season seven since season seven went off the air. Like I haven't really even revisited scenes from season seven. Uh, so I know it's the season that we've most recently podcasted about in terms of it being live on the air. But we have now gone through all of Game of Thrones, except for this final uh, penultimate run, uh, you know, where we left off as we picked up Winter Was Here. Uh, so this is an exciting moment, and it's it's exciting for, for that reason, but it's also exciting in that it's it's really signaling uh, that here we are, like, we're, we're really right up against it. Like, this is really the final push towards the final stretch of Game of Thrones. Um, this show is about to end. You know, we've got, we've got seven episodes to talk about before we're talking about brand new episodes of tv uh in the real time of the recording of this i think we've got nine weeks to go until the final season premieres uh this is an exciting time to be a game of thrones fan i didn't for whatever reason i didn't expect to be quite as amped up as i'm feeling heading into this last little run but uh this is exciting this is a very exciting moment for us this is a culmination right now. Uh, how do you compare sort of like the pre-final season hype to uh, where you were going into the final uh, episodes of Lost? Oh, good question. Um, I mean, it's it's similar, like a little less passionate, probably because Lost was Lost was my baby. You know, Lost was my baby Jon Snow. Uh, so I was really, really emotionally attached to Lost in a way that I, I've never quite gotten with Game of Thrones. But I think as as far as like a modern television event, it's a very good parallel where I think everybody walked into that final season of Lost being like, all right, can they do it? Can they can they tie this thing together? And your mileage may vary on whether or not they were able to. Um, but I think it's it's a similar story here with Game of Thrones where it's like, OK, here we go. Only only six uh, episodes left to tell this whole to tell this whole story and, and who is going to be on the Iron Throne and is there going to be an Iron Throne? And millions of people are on the edges of their seats wanting mm-hmm. to know the answer. Uh, and thankfully, we don't have to start really answering the questions for a few more weeks yet. Uh, I'm not like quite ready to process the fact that Game of Thrones is about to be over, but I'm very excited to get into the process of like getting right to that moment uh, yeah. and relitigating everything. Uh, from season seven, I think it's going to be a good time. And I also think it's going to be easier for Game of Thrones to uh, stick the landing, uh, pun intended, of uh, these final episodes, because one, you presume that, you know, uh, if whatever George R.R. R. Martin's and that he had in mind, it's sort of like they know where they're getting to. And there's really that they don't have to scientifically try to explain any of these mysteries or phenomenon. Right. Just, there was magic. It was magic. And then right. it's just really like, uh, you know, big battles and, you know, killing people and. And uh, I think that, you know, you could have a uh, satisfying ending, even if it's not necessarily a happy one. Yeah, I think with Game of Thrones, just to compare it again to Lost, uh, is I think you're exactly right, where I think a lot of like the hype going into the final season is can they answer all of these big picture questions? What was the island? Right. 
Right. And with Game of Thrones, it's a lot more character driven in uh, in terms of like the way that the story has been presented. I think ultimately for Lost, that was the case as well. But I think for Game of Thrones, like in their in their cards up universe, it's really never been about like unraveling like a bigger picture mystery. There may be something where like we get a completely different spin on the White Walkers that we were never even considering. That could be very cool Um, if they if they go there. Hopefully it wouldn't be midichlorian level of reveal. Um, But I think that really what you're looking for in the final season of game of thrones is who lives who dies the people who live where do they end up the people who die how do they die uh and i think you know just as long as the answers to those questions are true to the characters and the circumstances uh i think it'll be it'll be an easier landing than some of these other shows that have uh, had harder times bringing things in for uh, for their final run. Um, but ending a, a, a huge show like this is is a difficult, difficult task for for just about everybody. I mean, even when you think about like the greatest shows of all time, most of them, uh, not all of them, but many of them really are looked at as like having kind of like icky final seasons, you know, like, mm-hmm. at least like a little bit thorny. So you got to wonder if Game of Thrones is going to be able to escape that or if they're going to be able to get off a little cleaner. All right. Josh Wiggler, uh, a pleasure covering uh, all of this today with you and all of season uh, six as we move into uh, season seven. Uh, Can you uh, give the listeners a real quick little tease of uh, the stuff that you're doing on THR right now to get pumped for the final season? Yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about our final predictions along the way here in Winter Was Here, and I'm also jotting them down on paper for, uh, or I guess it's not technically paper unless you're printing out the articles, which is kind of a waste of resources, but you do, you boo-boo. Uh, we're, we're making our final predictions in a series we've been calling Final Path on Game of Thrones, where once a week I'm taking one main character from Game of Thrones and looking back on their journey and also looking ahead at where I think things might wind up for that person. So uh, official predictions for what's going to happen to Jon Snow official prediction for what's going to happen to Daenerys for all of these characters I'm making that happen over at THR.com slash Game of Thrones having a lot of fun writing that column so give it a read I'd appreciate it all right follow at round Howard I'm at Rob Sesternino check out our Star Trek Discovery coverage as well take care everybody have a good one bye bye